before we start our episode today, we would love to thank our newest Patreon supporter and my older sister, Jonna Ann Garcia. Without your support, this would not be possible. Thank you so much. Boom. Well done. Oh, you're killing me. <laughs> well done. You sounded Do normal and everything. All right. Do cool. your part. I'm back. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Dive in Justice, the podcast that explores building ideal communities with our less than ideal selves. I'm Shandine Garcia. And I'm Delma Jackson III, and today we are so excited to welcome Tanya Esparza. Um, from the, I know her from the Center of Whole Communities, but she does so much more work than that, and we're super excited to have her on and talk to her and learn from her and build with her and grow with her etc. But before we jump into that, I want to turn to my co-host and ask, Shandine, how you doing? My baby boy came home and I am so excited. It's like a part of my body is whole again. And just being able to put my arms around him when he got off the plane was the greatest thing I think that, um, is is happening to me this week he's home for the summer and Mm -hmm. i um Mm -hmm. i'm just i love listening about what he's learning i love listening about what he's grappling with i love he's about to be a junior in college and he's going to go off to ireland in the in the fall for this abroad program and he's just full of curiosity and Mm -hmm. um and he's super supportive of me, which, you know, I like, I, I don't know what this mom gig is, but it's so beautiful to hear now my 20 year old say, tell me about this new job that you're in. And it sounds like it's so supportive of you. And what are the like, he's just so sweet. And I love it. I love it. But I'm also exhausted because we're also staying up super, super late talking. And so two nights in a row staying up really late. Um, mm-hmm. That's my high. That's my high. My low is like a veiled high, if you will. Um, I There's this amazing organization called the Institute for Democratic Education in America, and they do these courses that help um, teachers, white teachers, really interrogate their whiteness and what does that mean. And they're just amazing educators trying their best to grapple with and navigate whiteness and white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And and the reason it's a low for me is it's just so, it's just, there's a lot of pain in it and it's hard to, um, uh, it saddens me that those classes are so necessary. Those spaces are so necessary. And it, um, sometimes it really just hurts my heart and I'll get off those calls and they're two hours long where I'm, listening and talking and learning and I just cry and and then my prayer for the next two or three days is constantly informed by that and I don't know sometimes I wish I could go in those spaces and I wouldn't exit so Mm -hmm. saddened by it if that makes Mm -hmm. sense Mm -hmm. Um, and not not because they're not honorable not because they're not amazing but because it's just so much it's just so sad 
So it's kind of like a high slash low, if that makes sense. What about you? What which, what you got this week? Yeah, so on the low end of the spectrum, I think I can point to the fact that I've been recently navigating this some of the stresses connected to being in a long distance relationship. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that I'm grappling with, I think, the most right now is struggling to make the distinction between what is fair to want, like when you want something to be different. Sometimes that can be driven by like your heart's genuine place, right? Sometimes it can be driven by fear and eat more ego stuff. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when I was in my 20s, I used to be able to ask this really grounding, helpful question around like, okay, what would love do? What would love ask me? I would love navigate this. And it used to feel like that just answered all the things for me. And it doesn't feel like that anymore. It doesn't feel as clear to me anymore. Um, sometimes I don't know what the loving thing is in some situations anymore, you know? Um, and so I at least have enough sense not to make decisions rooted in that uncertainty or that lack of clarity. Like I'd rather just not do anything until I feel more grounded (laughs) and sure about what's informing how I'm feeling. Um, and that took 40 some years to figure that much out. Right. So at least I got that. Um, but yeah, now I'm just sitting with it in terms of the high, uh, I watched my niece, uh, finish her undergrad degree. Um, she had her graduation last week. Um, and she finished up at the Philadelphia school of art. She's a dancer. Um, and I've watched her over the years. She's been dancing since she was a little kid. And I've watched what it's done to her body and just really got an appreciation for the athleticism of of dance, you know, Mm -hmm. um, the Mm -hmm. abuse that the body undergoes. Um, I watched her get injured multiple times and suck it up, just like you would expect somebody on the the pitch or on the football field or in the boxing ring or wherever, you know. And so it's – it's been a gift to be able to watch her journey and this year wrap this thing up um, and move into, you know, that existential early 20s. What do I do now that I'm not attached to an institution and nobody's telling me what time to eat lunch? And, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? <laughs> like, she's struggling with that right now. And so she and I have been having a few different conversations. And I'm just trying to give her permission to, I'm trying to encourage her to be patient with herself you know um and that it's okay to not know and not have it all figured out yeah big congratulations to her from us yeah for sure for sure yeah so i appreciate it and last thing i'll say tell gabe i'm so excited for his trip study abroad was such a life-changing thing for me and so i always get super excited when i hear other folks are getting ready to step out and, and do the thing like that and put themselves in that kind of new environment. I don't think he wants to do like Peace Corps, like these sort of extractive places. He just mm-hmm. wants to, you know, go and put his 
feed on the land and meet some people and learn and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and attempt to be in right relationship with his learning journey. And it's so cool to watch. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I'm excited for him and tell him I'm down to swap uh, <laughs> journey stories. I got so many stories. He would love Because I did the exact same kind of program. So I was there for the semester and yeah, it was, uh, it was, um, like I said, life changing. So cool. I'd yeah, be happy I'll to let talk him know. to him for sure. All right. I would like to segue into introducing our guest. Tanya Esparza is a queer Chicanix raised in Chumash People's Ocean Waters, now known as Santa Carbara, California. She is proud to come from a migrant family of brave, persistent matriarchs and grateful to have found home in the high desert mountains of the Tiwa people in Corrales, New Mexico. Tanya is a storyteller and founder of Hirasol Descendants, a beloved community-making project offering storytelling as a practice for building the world we need and deeply desire. Tanya offers her gifts in coaching, vision and purpose alignment, transformative facilitation, program design, storytelling, and cultural strategy to local and national social justice efforts. They are a proud fellow and board member of the Center for Whole Communities. Shout out. Tanya loves offering embodied spirit and heart-centered support as a prenatal birth and post-birth doula. She's been growing alongside social justice movements for over 17 years, working at the intersections of reproductive, gender, and racial justice, and queer liberation. Most recently, Tanya completed a six-year tenure as the executive director at Bold Futures, formerly Young Women United, a New Mexico-based reproductive justice organization led by women of color. In 2017, She was honored to receive the Women of Vision Award from the MS Foundation for Women. Her writing can be found in the turnleft.org, Latina Magazine, Rewire News, NBC News, New Mexico's Green Fire Times, and the Malapais Review. Thank you for taking some time to be with us today. Appreciate you. Thank you both so much for inviting me. It's such a gift to share, to share time with you both and share conversation. Mm. Even with, um, you mean me specifically, <laughs> or were you including Shandine in that assessment? With, with both of you, I, I actually had a, um, I mean, I haven't seen Shandine in person in a really long time. And Shadeen is the is the reason why I'm connected to Center for Whole Communities. So that's a that's a whole journey. Um, so I'm so excited to be here with both of you because there's something really sweet and serendipitous about it all. Mm, I can dig it. I can dig it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Even Shadeen. <laughs> all right. I guess. Did, did Did you hear that, Delma? Did you hear, just making sure you did you hit her even. That? Right. I'm just going to point that out. That feels important. <laughs> Thinking about your beautiful bio that Delma read, the last line is she's currently doing her best to move courageously toward her sacred purpose. 
And so an invitation to have you um, talk, talk to us about that a little bit. Like what was it even then? What is it now? What are you thinking about for tomorrow? I am. Um, I'm taking a moment and a, a lesson from Muhammad actually from Muhammad from Center for Whole Communities who always encourages us to take a pause and think about where we want to begin and where we want to pause in, in a story. And I could start the story many ways. And I think I want to start the story by honoring and loving on and giving some huge love, big love to elder teacher Norma Wong. Um, who is an amazing movement strategist, teacher to many of us, so many of us that we, I can't even count the pool of, of students <laughs> that show up to our, our beloved teacher's spaces, and who's also a Zen practitioner and just creates so many offerings for our world. This, this um, term around sacred responsibility, it comes from her. It comes from her teachings around mm-hmm. uh, holding an arc of seven generations, um, a responsibility for the seven generations who came before us and the seven generations who come ahead of us. And um, and I think that, that that for me has been like one of the most grounding and I think catalyzing like lessons that I've felt so deeply in my body and in my heart that um, has really seeded my courage to take to take leaps out of out into the unknown out out of my comfort zone um, and so at the time at the time when when we met I was in the middle of of transitioning out of my role um, as an executive director of a really beautiful and amazing organization and also knowing that I had outgrown that role in that one um, I don't believe that the ETs need to need or should be around forever. Um, and, and also that there's, there's room for expansion. And I was leaning into what was calling me, what's been calling me for a long time. And it's about telling stories and it's about the presence of my being of how I show up to movement space. And I was like, there's something about, about this that I love. There's something about, showing up with presence to to something that needs healing to the spaces that need tending to showing up with deep presence to visioning courageously through story and not in a way that that actually um i think is extractive of story where you know you add it on to a communication strategy after the fact <laughs> but really centers in the actual practice of storytelling. But um, Winona LaDuke says what the, what the old people gave you, you know, what our old people gifted to us, the practice of being in, in story together. And I leaned into that. I actually didn't really know. I didn't have a plan for what I was going to do after my, my transition. I just knew that I did I could not be an executive director anymore. I knew that my gifts were being wasted by looking at organizational budgets. And I needed to- <laughs> you're saying that your core purpose on this earth was not to be reconciling budgets for an organization. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. 
basically. Yeah, that's what it was. And um, it's been a journey since then, two years out of that. And that feels like such a long time ago because the person who I am, who I am now is completely shaped by by that responsibility that I have to our descendants, to our ancestors. And for some reason, I don't know why, and this is probably, it's, it's part of the inquiry that I'm carrying right now around why I'm so called to our descendants, our collective descendants, not even beings um, that I may be related to. I, I mean, across species, across time. <laughs> Um, I'm so called to them. And so this project around storytelling to envision and to practice building the world that we desperately and absolutely lovingly need and desire, um, it's an offering to our descendants. It's a way, it's a spiritual practice in actually connecting with them, um, imagining who they are and not even imagining, but they are real. Because I feel them. I believe deeply in them. I am deeply in love with them. Just as I'm deeply in love with the world I know is possible. And there is work to be done in this realm, in this time, so that they can be made possible. So that they can live out and innovate the lessons that we offer them. That's, that's part of what my sacred purpose is now. Thank you for giving Diving Justice a listen. We recognize that your time is the most valuable currency you have. If you're digging the pod, there are a couple things you could do to show your support. First, head over to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds of your time. And every review helps us grow our listenership and broadens the conversations we can have together. The second thing you can do and should do is consider supporting the podcast by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash dive underscore in underscore justice. When it comes to story, story is something that I, I'm deeply in love with and have been for a long time. Curious if you know of a time or are aware of a time in your life wherein the power of story came to your attention. If there was a particular moment in which you came to fully embrace and appreciate just how powerful story is. Thank you. Thank you for the question. I think for me and, um, our, your listeners might be able to pick up on this is that pretty soft-spoken. It's a, it's a, something that I've, I, I thought that I needed to overcome a long time ago. <laughs> um, and now I understand it is just, it's part of my gift. I think it's, it's part of the youthfulness of my spirit and the, the ancientness of my spirit too. Um, I was a really quiet kid. I actually didn't speak a lot. Um, I had a lot of trouble speaking. Um, and fast forward, like super fast forward, when um, I was so grateful to to go to college at the University of California in Santa Cruz. And I met such a beautiful, amazing, 
theater of the oppressed street theater community. Shout out to Rainbow Theater, 2004 to 2008. Um, and I actually, I, I was really encouraged by someone to like, to go to the auditions. I don't even remember what I did. I was absolutely terrified of like being in a public place and saying something out loud about myself. And I got cast for a play and I'd never, I'd never performed before. Um, And from there it turned out that I actually really loved to write stories and I started writing plays and, and performing, you know, one person shows um, and then later I realized I didn't, I didn't love the performing as much as I loved the, like the conjuring of the story, the feeling of the story. Um, and I think, I think all of us are storytellers. We all are. Um, I used to say I'm a writer and now I like, I'm like, I take it back. I'm not a writer. I'm a storyteller because the stories live at the edge of my fingertips literally between my ears when I'm trying to go to sleep at night. And I know it's, it's our descendants who are keeping me up trying to like ask me a question and I need to listen because there's something that's moving through. Um, that's, that's the power of story. When I think about story and for me, I think about oral traditions and I think about the orality of it. And interestingly, when, when you say storytelling or to people, to general writ large, it's almost only thought of in terms of talk, w- word, sound, like aud- the audible nature of it. And my question to you is, what do you hope or invite others to think about story in terms of story told by place, by mountains, by babies, by species, by, by something other than what... Uh, a limiting or, or closed container concept of audible story? I think, um, I love this question, by the way. It's like super rocking my world. <laughs> it's like all I ever want to talk about with people. Um, that there are so, this is why we're all storytellers, that we all have access to, to stories once we're like, once we're one, ready for them. And that we've created the conditions within ourselves and around us to be able to receive them. Um, and, you know, some of us tell stories in our, in our drawings. Some of us tell stories in our cooking. Like there's endless ways of telling stories, receiving stories and building them. Um, and I think it's about being present. You know, um, Elder Teacher Norma Wong says that the most important work that we can do together is breathe together. And if we've done that, then we've done the work that we came to do. And um, a lot of, a lot of um, the lineage of, of her teaching and when she, what she imparts on so many of us is around like being grounded with our breath, being grounded with, with our, our beings. And that that's often some of like, it's the hardest thing to learn. It sounds so simple. It sounds so like to some people might sound naive, um, like how is that? How is breathing a strategy? And I'm so grateful to beloveds like Alexis Pauline Gums, Dr. Alexis Pauline Gums, who have um, really like. <laughs> 
Sandina and I are showing each other um, Dub Finding Ceremony and Undrowned um, through this podcast Love Fest um, for Dr. Alexis Pauline Gums, um, who teaches us so much about breath and like talks about breath as like as the old memory that we were remembering from species of long ago, from from our ancestors, that it's part of our like our divine right, our divine being. And I think that the layerings of that to be present with the patterns of the world, to be present with the patterns of our ourselves, like breathing, that doesn't go away when we go to sleep. That's another teaching. Um elder teacher, um, Roshi, Rosie Abram, who says that, um, you know, when we go to sleep, we're still breathing. And that breath is our connection to the unconscious. Like it travels with us while we're awake and when we're not aware of, of being alive. And so if we honor the patterns that we're a part of, the sacred patterns that we're a part of, if we bear witness to, you know, the migration patterns of the cranes, and you know this, Shandine, um, the cranes who come to visit us in the winter, who come from the north because it's warmer here, and you hear their calls, and they have their own ceremony for the for the river. They show up before I do, and I was like, you beat me again. <laughs> and they're just sitting, they're standing there, you know, like hundreds of them on the river, and sometimes in just utter silence. And I think those are the patterns that we have to we have to honor and be present with because there's stories embedded in all of that. I asked my father who would welcome them if they're there first one time. <laughs> <laughs> there are these two questions he said he could never answer for me, and that was one. And the other was I other one I asked him was, Weeping willow trees are so sad. Dad, is there something we can do to help them be not so sad? And he was like Sometimes I don't even know what's in your head, Mijita, like with these questions. <laughs> but yes, the cranes. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. I'm interested in building something new. Storytelling can look a lot of different ways. But I want a, nif- a different kind of story to be told. And I think it's necessary if we're going to be able to build anything new collectively. That said, I struggle with certain populations who carry certain stories. Um, And I have a harder time connecting to them because of the stories that they carry about what it means to be a man or what it means to be of a particular sexuality or what it means to be of a particular ethnicity, etc. And I don't know if in your experience around story, if you've had the chance to use story to help bridge folks. In ways that maybe they wouldn't otherwise. And I'm curious if you could speak to that for a minute. Everything you're saying is uh, is exactly why the reason why we need to be able to access our stories and why storytelling can be a, a, a way to shape shape the world that we need and deeply desire and absolutely love. Um, because it's the stories that have been told to us, the stories that have been made up, um, that have created the structures and the institutions that we're a part of. So if we tell a different story, if we 
create the conditions for us to share those stories with each other. And by creating the conditions, I mean like tapping into our humanity, um, regardless of what identities that we carry, not that they're not important because they are, and tapping into like our literal like being, like who we are inside. Um, there's something about that that like takes us to a, a more magical place and to an, an unknown place, the unknown that is like is stewarded by our ancestors that is stewarded by our descendants that that magical place i think has potential for for inspiring us and inviting us into um, a more a more loving place um and i think that that's that those are the spaces that i that i'm i'm so again honored to be co-creating alongside and with and um with it, with the invitation of beloved elder teacher Norma Wong and with the invitation of, of beloved organization, um, the Resonance Network, we're really trying to tap into those stories and, and also um, like believe that we are storytellers. Mm-hmm. We have to believe it. <laughs> all of us, we are all uh, storytellers. It doesn't take away from anyone's specialness. Um, we all are, and we need all of the stories to create the big, the layering, the, the the braiding, the threading, the weaving of all the stories together, so that we can have a, a more clear, more loving, more real picture of what's actually waiting for us to like live into. Mm-hmm. Um, I am. Um, I would like to to share a a story with mm-hmm. both of you, if you Please. will allow me. Um, and I think um, I'm only, I want to share this because um, because the song came up today <laughs> because La Llorona came and she wanted space. Um Memoria Memoria Right now, in the future, the future that is occurring and living out its purpose as we live ours in the present, and our ancestors lived theirs in the past. There is a gathering occurring, a gathering where our descendants are arriving to the place where the oldest waters are cared for, revered, sat with, in council. Each person present has been lovingly cared for, taught the skills they would need to fulfill their duties by a teacher who taught them and a teacher before them them, as was a tradition of their people to apprentice and teach, like the doulas and the midwives and the curanderics and the parteras, share their knowledge, create the pathways necessary to be each other's harvest. Here, the people come together, as they do every four years, to meet with the Council of Water, 
Each visitor arrives with an offering, a single drop of water from the water archive of their homelands. Water who has sat with the people and the land and all its beings, listening, collecting the stories, the triumphs, the learnings and reconciliations, the rest and the laughter, the generative conflict and restoration of the people, the land, and all its beings. Each visitor has been joyfully invited to be a water bearer for their people, knowing the responsibility of their task to be sacred. For reuniting the waters in this way requires the gentlest of listening, the strength of softness. Together, in the good company of all the water bearers, they will listen to the counsel of their collective waters and sit with the stories, the triumphs, the learnings, and reconciliations, the rest and the laughter, the generative conflict and restoration of all the people, all the land, and all its beings. When their listening is complete, each one of them will return home with a single drop of the collective water to offer the water archive of their homelands and share with their people the lessons of the Water Council. Memoria Memoria There is more to that story. And um, I share that story now because part of what I wonder and what's actually been keeping me awake this week is what if we tried to create those gatherings now? What would it take in this year post slash transitioning out of, it's not post pandemic yet, but transitioning out of pandemic what would it take to bring our people together? And I start asking myself questions like, what relationships might need to be tend to people who don't talk to each other within our movements, within our family structures, so that a gathering could be possible? How would we care for the children? What would we do to support the people who have babies? <laughs> What would we do to support the people who need chairs to sit in, the people who can't stand? When we start asking all those questions, then it's an opportunity to actually practice the values of, of, of what we're, we're talking about, all the values of all the layers of justice that are needed in this moment. Those, if we can answer those questions, then we're we get closer to, to building the muscle, building the strategies that are needed for everyone to be present at the gathering. And so now I have this like dream that I want to have a gathering and mm. I want to answer those questions and they're mm -hmm. shaped by that story. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I also wonder about the cynics. I think about my hometown our collective relationship as a city uh, to water. 
thinking through how to make that space accessible to as many people as possible. There are so many considerations, including folks like myself and worse, (laughs) where there's a level of cynicism. And that kind of brings me to what might be my last question for now. Because I want to get you on record saying you'll agree to come back and join us again. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) If you're familiar with the show, you know we often ask folks about their petty. And I think as I was listening to you and feeling into my own curiosity and yesness and also my own sense of cynicism and knownness, I don't know if I get to be welcomed into those kinds of spaces that your story invoked. Because not because you wouldn't welcome me, but because I feel like my cynicism has led to my pettiness, which then makes me feel unwelcome, even if you stood there with arms wide open. Right. And I've identified that long ago as a place where I struggle to even be a part of the community that I think I want to create or help create. Mm. Cause if it worked the way I wanted to, I don't think I like everybody all the time. (laughs) I'd be be so over certain things because of my cynicism, you know, when you think about what feels healing for you, when you think about the practices, when you think about the books and the authors and the scholars and the healers, I'm curious about, what happens and what you see in yourself when it's harder to access that part of you. Mm -hmm. And you feel the tensions and the cynicisms and um, when you're feeling less than your best, what do you observe in yourself? Ah. There's so much there. I'm like, that's a whole nother, it's like, there's more conversation here. And I so love and appreciate what you're offering here because it's so real. Um, and I want to say the other part of that, that story that I didn't continue on. This is, it's a longer story. Um, and the story was actually about imagining a world without sexual violence. Um, and, and, the like, what continues on is that before, but before this gathering, there had to be many other gatherings so that we could practice how to get there. If we remember that this gathering is a gathering that's happening in the future where our descendants are in this practice, if that is our like, our guiding like light, like what do we have to do now so that that gathering is possible so that the waters are restored so that all people have access to their to their water council and have a place of belonging and homeland so then you know the story goes on to say you know but before then there are many gatherings and there were many teachers who showed up 
And when I say teachers, I always think, I mean, I've, I've mentioned a few of their names already, and I keep thinking about these are the teachers who are teaching me. Who am I teaching? Who am I passing on what I know? Um, and the part of me that maybe it's it's my lesser self, I don't know, my, my lower self, the part of me that has doubt about whether what I have to say is important or not, I remember that. And then I say, you know, I had so much of my life where I was quiet and where I thought like this, like soft spokenness that I carried was part of how I coped with my trauma. Um, and I've come to realize that I survived my traumas. I've survived because I've been this way because I've been a deep feeler and I've been a softy and a squishy and, <laughs> and, while that might come off as being naive or unknowledgeable, depending on the space that I'm in, because this, this body gets questioned all the time. My expertise gets questioned all the time. And sometimes I believe it. I think that part of what runs through me is that sometimes I believe it. And it's why I stay under the radar and why I stay like, sometimes I do stay quiet and I have to like re-energize and give myself the reminder that before that big gathering, there's tending to do here. There's more cooking to do. There's more recipes to remember. There's people to heal with. There are people that I need to continue to like offer maybe apology to or offer a, an olive branch to people who have harmed me that I need to continue building. I don't even know forgiveness is a word. There's no, I don't think I have to forgive anyone. I think it's more about just mending. And so what comes up for me is um, when I feel like I'm not being listened to or like, oh, like maybe people aren't ready for this conversation, it means what's, what's happening before that gathering. It means I'm asking myself questions. Like, am I the right person for this, this space? We're not everybody's people. We're not all the people. You know, I, I know I'm not, what I have to share won't resonate with everyone. And, vice versa that's also part of beloved community that like we're in you know beloved community as martin luther king taught us as grace lee boggs continue to innovate it includes the people that we might not agree with <laughs> it includes the people that might we might think are in our opposition and in that pool i also have to believe that maybe if i'm not the person you might be the person delma or Shandi might be a person. You hear that? I'm the person. <laughs> I think I think this has to be a part two. There's something about honoring the dreaming of um, a water council that um, is inviting the wrestling with what does practice look like? What does it mean to to, to test recipes? Like I said, like part of my like first gut was like. So like the gathering and then the other part is and and I didn't I didn't know about the the like many gatherings or the pre like sometimes I think um like three people two people one sitting on the mountainside talking that that is the gathering that that is the that is the animal does it need to be big and what like as you're like I'm losing sleep over thinking about what it could be and I'm all but what if it actually already is like, and we're just, and so I'm like, I just want to keep talking about it. I just want to respect what the, 
respect what the dreaming space is asking of us. And it's saying, this is like a, the preamble <laughs> to more. Dive in Justice is a co-production of the Center for Whole Communities and Shoreline Consulting. The Center for Whole Communities exists to build capacity at the individual, organizational, and community level to deepen awareness, embrace differences, and value relationships, thus making change possible. Shoreline Consulting co-constructs solutions and strategies that align with your goals and leverages the voices, perspectives, and wisdom of those who stand to benefit. For more information on the Center for Whole Communities, find us at wholecommunities.org. For more information on Shoreline Consulting, visit us on the web at thinkshorelines.com. Diving Justice theme song created by Nasir Thomas Jackson. Doug Fairnstein is our audio engineer. Sarah McCandless is our administrative support. Jennifer Cotting and Soraya Yamada Sapien help us out with marketing and promotional support. Thank you all so much. Without your continued efforts, this show would not be possible.